Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Here are two questions. Were there prophets in the New Testament or just in the Old Testament? And the second is, are there still prophets today? Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. In this episode of The Leader's Notebook, and in some following, I'm going to be teaching a series on the interaction between spiritual authority and secular power. This is based on my brand new book of Kings and Prophets, which book I want you to have. I want you to get it, and I want you to get it for others. You may want to buy some for pastors that you know or for leaders uh, that are in places of influence and power because this is an important book uh, that I believe will be a great blessing to them. At the end of this podcast, the announcer is going to tell you how you can get your copy and as many copies as you want about how to make a pre-order of my new book of Kings and Prophets. On last week, as we began this series, we particularly talked about John the Baptist and his conflict with Herod Antipas, which caused John the Baptist to be executed, to be beheaded. I want to pick up there and make the bridge on then into the question that we, with which I began the podcast. What about prophets in the New Testament, and what about prophets today? I mean, the leap from John the Baptist to the rest of the New Testament is, is not huge. John the Baptist prophesied the immediate appearance of Messiah, so that would make him the last of the Old Testament prophets, like, say, Isaiah, for example. But he also was in the New Testament, and he didn't say Messiah is coming. He pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God, which makes him a New Testament prophet. So this leads us to a question. Were there other New Testament prophets? And that leads us to a second question. If there were New Testament prophets, are there still prophets today? As to the first question, the answer is yes. Agabus, for example, was a trusted prophet in the New Testament. In fact, he was one of a group of prophets described in the book of Acts who came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, that's in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Agabus prophesied a great famine, and the church at Antioch, trusting in that prophecy, having confidence in it, immediately took up an offering and sent relief funds to the believers in Jerusalem. Agabus' uh, prophecy of that famine is validated by a date stamp. It says right in the New Testament, this famine came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Sometimes uh, we long for those also to be validated by history. Suetonius a Roman historian records that this famine actually happened in the reign of Claudius, and he tells that it was so horrible and lasted so long, four years from A.D. 44 to A.D. 48, that it was so horrible that Roman mobs even threatened to drag Claudius Caesar out of the palace and kill him. This same prophet, Agabus, 
appears again in Acts 21, and he prophesies dramatically that if Paul the apostle returns to Jerusalem, he will be arrested and handed over to Gentile power. Paul hears this prophecy. He does not deny the validity of the prophecy. He simply says he is prepared to suffer and die. Paul does indeed go to Jerusalem, and every word of Agabus' prophecy comes true. Therefore, we can safely say that John the Baptist was not the only New Testament prophet. Acts uh, also records that Philip the evangelist had four virgin daughters, which, quote, unquote, from Acts 21.9, which, quote, says, which did prophesy. So if they prophesied, then we must consider that they were prophets. Luke, the writer of Acts, does not go so far as to call them prophets, but he simply says they prophesied. It may be a difference without a distinction, but the specific language is worth noting. They were women who prophesied, all of which brings us to today. Are there prophets today? This book that I've written and I want you to have is called Of Kings and Prophets. It is not a book about the gifts of the Spirit in the contemporary church. That is for another book. I have written and preached on that subject in the past, and I reserve the right to do so in the future, but that's not what I want to deal with in this book. Here, I want to only deal with prophecy as it impacts secular authority. Agabus, the New Testament prophet, the fact of him and the fact that the church in his own time accepted him as a prophet speaks loudly that there were New Testament prophets. There, the prophets didn't pass away with the end of the Old Testament. There are no prophets today who are fully and widely accepted as prophets by the church at large beyond smaller enclaves. They may speak to certain groups of people, certain Christians who accept their words as prophetic. I would say that there's a difference between someone who speaks prophetically with a small p and prophet with a capital P. In the same sense that I would say there's a difference between people with apostolic ministries and people who are apostles in the same sense that St. Peter was an apostle. My friend, the, the late, great Reinhard Bunke, had a prophetic ministry to Africa, indeed to the world, but particularly to Africa. But I do not rank Reinhard Bunke as an apostle in the same sense that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were. There may be prophets, but they are localized and not accepted in the same general church-wide sense that Agabus was. That may speak to the disappearance of that office. Some will claim that. I'm not willing to claim that. It may just speak to the spiritual poverty and splintered theological divisiveness of the contemporary community of faith. That is also for another book. What I want to speak to is the true nature of prophets. Some modern prophets are really encouragers, encouraging others with hopeful words such as, your blessing is on the way, God will return all you've lost, is hardly a bad thing, 
I love to hear encouraging words myself, and saying them to others is a good and valid ministry. However, unless it is a specific prophecy given by God through a prophet, if the prophet is just lifting the spirits of others generally, if it is a general word tweeted out to the masses, we dare not call it a prophecy nor its author a prophet in the same sense as Agabus who prophesied a coming famine. Neither of Agabus' recorded prophecies were positive. One was of a famine. One was of the impending arrest and imprisonment of the Apostle Paul. This is not to say all valid prophecies have to be negative, hardly. A more positive prophecy than John the Baptist's words, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, cannot be imagined. How, how positive is that? It is, however, important to see that a constant stream of general feel-good statements on Twitter do not a prophet make. Neither do emotionally driven, quote-unquote, prophecies about current events. For example, anyone can prophesy about specific front-page news, but they have to be held accountable. Prophets who prophesy what they hope will happen politically are not prophets at all. God is not obligated to fulfill the wish list of contemporary preachers who claim prophetic authority. Preachers who claim prophetic authority are obligated before God and before the church to hear from God, say only what he says, add nothing, omit nothing, and then live or die with the consequences. Prophets are seldom popular. Respected, yes, feared, perhaps. Popular, not so much. My suspicion is that when Agabus showed up at a meeting, somebody in the back row headed for the parking lot. Prophets are rarely loved by those in positions of political or religious power. Favor with those in high places can be a gift of God. It can also be a deadly and deadening trap. Saying what the powerful want to hear is seldom spiritually powerful. Saying what is spiritually powerful seldom pleases the powerful. The anointed word of God is indeed what Scripture calls it, a two-edged sword. The leaders of the present age are always nervous about swords in the hands of others, and they seldom treat prophets with respect. When John the Baptist's mangled and headless corpse lay on the floor of Herod's prison, and John's head was carried into a party on a platter, those at that party laughed and rejoiced while heaven welcomed a prophet home. Herod and his friends sat in the seat of luxury and walked the halls of worldly power. John the Baptist entered the gates of glory. The voice of prophecy will grow weak and confused when the church settles for celebrity and access to the palace. Prophets, real prophets, true prophets, care little for such things and even for the preservation of their own lives. 
They hear from God in the various lonely deserts of life and declare his word unalloyed to those who may least want to hear it. The history of humanity is the story of power. It is power that nations strive to seize. It's power that they may lose every time they send their armies into the field. Power is the inner infection in every fevered night of domestic violence. When a man wants to beat his wife into submission, what he's after is not a happy marriage or a good relationship. It's power. Power is the salacious delight of the leering bully. Power is what's at issue when he tries to intimidate his victim. Power is also what is lacking in the cold, desperate fear of his frightened victim. From the moment Cain took a stone and caved in his brother Abel's skull, the poisonous lust for power has pulsed in the veins of fallen and carnal humanity. After Cain came Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter. We are, to understand from Scripture, a hunter of men, actually. A king in the land of Shinar. To this day, every king, every descendant, every generation made in Nimrod's image wants what Nimrod wanted, power over others. Nimrod positioned himself where no man should ever be in the place of God. And thus he believed the lives of others were his own. Nimrod's spirit is the spirit of tyranny. When power runs perpendicular to power, the inevitable collision will be directly proportional to the force, speed, and magnitude and mass involved. So, for example, a backyard brawl over hamburgers may end in a shooting, but it will not end in mass destruction. When nation rises up against nation, the speed, magnitude, and mass involved, the resulting explosion, especially now in the 21st century, can mean global annihilation. Now consider that there are forces involved in these matters beyond the natural, forces that are supernatural. Power in the natural realm is a mystery that cannot be fully explained in earthly terms alone. In every human conflict, one always has the sense that something else, something beyond the immediate space and time is involved. We have this sense because it's true. When the demented mind of some maniacal despot plots genocidal murder, there is a mind behind his mind. Every time a gangbanger puts his hand around the butt of a gun, there is a hand behind his hand. This is the way of things in human history. The mystery of worldly power is actually its otherworldliness. Behind a raging king of monstrous evil and narcissistic self-worship is a dark, compelling spirit. The mind behind the mind is also the rage behind the rage. And so it goes. 
I hope that you're enjoying this series. And I'm very, very pleased with this book, my new book of Kings and Prophets. I want you to have this book. I pray that reading this book will both encourage you, convict you, teach you, inform you about the conflict between spiritual authority and secular power. It's called Of Kings and Prophets. At the end of this podcast, the announcer is going to tell you how you can get an early delivery of this book. The book will be released in October to the public, but I want you to get yours right now. I pray that it'll be a blessing to you and that it'll be a blessing to those to whom you send it. Buy it for your Christmas presents. Get it to all your friends and neighbors. Buy one for your pastor. Buy one for the spiritual leaders that you respect and admire and for the political and secular leaders that need to read this. And I pray it'll be a blessing to you. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. To order a copy of Dr. Mark Rutland's new book of Kings and Prophets, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter promo code KINGS30 to receive 30% off of each book, or call us toll-free at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.